Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. I'm David Strausser, and it's time for another rocking episode of Shark Bite Biz, your place to learn how to grow a business in complete chaos. <laughs> I love that intro. Today's guest is pretty awesome. Okay, no, I'm kidding. She is really awesome. She has her own practice in HR. So essentially, she's her own small business owner with her agency. But she also has some solid advice for us during this crazy COVID time period. This virus has created some new challenges for us, and it's made businesses have to adopt really quickly. For example, with more people working from home, what's the dress code? What should your dress code be? Should you still be wearing a suit at home even though you have to make lunch and have kids virtually studying in the other room? How understanding should employers be with having to juggle the work-life balance of their employees at home? Which, like I mentioned, you know, often in times involves virtual schooling for the kids. Some of these things were unthinkable last November, but they are flat out our reality right now in November of 2020. We're going to discuss about some best practices that employers and employees can do around the HR field during this so trying time. So who are we having today? None other than Kelly Loudermill. Kelly is an HR professional, small business owner of Build HR and mother of two. And it's verified because you can hear them in our interview. (laughs) Kidding. Sorry, Kelly. (laughs) Uh, As an HR expert with over 10 years of experience, she has had the opportunity to work with businesses as little as three people and as large as 15,000. She helps CEOs, leaders, managers, and fellow peers transform the way that they work with their people within the HR space. Let's get right to it and bring the super talented Kelly on in here. Business strategy. Kelly, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. So glad to have you on the show finally. This is like the third time we've tried to record the interview. And I'm telling you what, this is the lucky third charm. I'm hoping so. I'm excited to be back. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully excited that this episode actually airs, right? (laughs) Yes, I'm hoping so. Because I think the content is super important for everyone that listens to your show. So I think it will be fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially with how the pandemic is right now. I mean, we're hitting skyrocketing rates. So we'll get into that in a minute. First off, I know who you are because I've interviewed you so many times for outtake episodes. But please, for our YouTube viewers, our listeners on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere around the world, please explain to them who the heck are you? 
So although I'm a little casual today um, on video, I am actually an HR professional and consultant for multiple different businesses. I not only work full time um, as an HR manager for a local company, but I do HR consulting for small businesses up to 150 employees around the nation. And my job is essentially to create efficiencies and eliminate redundancies or just build structures altogether for companies who don't have it. So I'm kind of a wearer of all hats within the HR space. Oh, that's awesome. And I, I just got to comment there for a second. HR can be casual too. So you're good. <laughs> Today it is a little bit because why not, right? Well, why not? I mean, you're, everybody's work from home, you know, more casual than they are most days anyway. So I guess that's a good topic uh, to start out with. I mean, from the HR perspective, how casual can people be for Zoom calls from their makeshift home office now? It really depends on the company culture. Ideally, you're going to keep some sort of consistency with your company culture in office. The biggest mm -hmm. takeaway or the biggest overarching theme when it comes to remote in general to apply to everything you do with remote world is to make it an extension of your office. So all your policies, safety regulations, compliance items, whatever that might look like, including dress code, it should be an extension of the office. So when on camera, you should be following office policies unless they've been updated specifically for telecommuting purposes. So if you have a very professional office and they say you can be more casual at home, that's okay. But my office environment is very casual to begin with. What I'm wearing would be fine in office. So I, I extend that into my home office as well. But it just depends on what your culture is and what your expectations are in office. Well, most days, even though I've got the, you know, dress shirt, tie, jacket on, I still got shorts and sandals down below. I've been doing that for years. So <laughs> uh, that's the way to do it. It's just whatever <laughs> works. You know, it's funny I just said that because just the other day I saw somebody started selling work from home suit casual wear have you seen that no i haven't that sounds like those um christmas suits that we've seen over the past few yeah. years get really popular that what well, that's what that makes me think of it's like a pajama yeah. suit thing no it's it's kind of like yeah it's almost like a pajama suit up top and then it's oh, with a wow. uh, nice i mean they look nice shorts like you might look a little odd walking outside in it for for the house it comfortable office wear. I thought that was awesome. I might have to check that out. So with that, though, let, let, let's dig in one more question on the work from home etiquette. Um, yeah. If somebody's working from home, let's look at from the employer side of it for a second. A lot of things are going on, you know, kids are at home, uh, you know, you may have to also assist with their studies. I think employers are being a little bit flexible with that. I mean, should employers have a little bit more compassion, you think, to say, hey, look, we want to keep it at this level. It's a step down or two from what we normally do. We understand you might not have all the time to iron your suits or iron your dresses to do like you did for the office with everything going on. Where do you think 
companies should stand and where are they standing? I think companies need to stand right where you mentioned, a few levels down of where they're at in the office in general, because as a working mom and having students at home, you know, it is really difficult to get things done. My employers that I've worked with, they're okay with kids on call. The other day I had a call with a CEO and COO with Uh a kid on my hip, you know, and that's okay. It is illegal to discriminate against somebody or fire somebody for a kid or something in the background. That's something to think about. That was a recent uh, article out of California Uh, that applies to everybody. Um, So I would just say they need to bring it down. Most companies are showing a lot of compassion because regardless of where you are in the organization, even C-suite, they're experiencing the same things. They Uh still might have their kids at home. Um, I've had a couple of CFOs that I've worked with in the past. They have school-agers as well, like myself, and they're at home. And some people do have partners to help and some do not. And so I do think- I've experienced it as well too. (laughs) You know, like I mean, and we're doing sometimes hundreds of thousands to multi-million dollar deals. And, you know, you're on a call with, I'm on the call with a C-level executive and you have the kids screaming in the background, like, hey, sorry, I'm working at home. Let me get somewhere else. Or the dogs barking. I'm hearing a lot more dogs barking than I think I ever had on calls uh, because people are working from home. And I think that companies, I mean, well, yeah, they could tote it down. But I also think when you're doing external meetings, while you want it to be as perfect as possible, always, um, you know, like they're more understanding as well, too, because we are kind of all in this together. They're going through yeah. the same stuff. I think that's very accurate because I've been on external calls and even sales calls where I've heard mm-hmm. children talking about potty training in the background that were not my <laughs> own. And I we bonded over that because I was like, we're going through that right now with my second born. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it was a good thing. And I do think a lot more people are starting to realize that we're in it for the long haul. And so they're starting to adapt to that more empathy centric way of working and Uh keeping that more consistent. Because as long as you're meeting your goals at the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what your day is structured like. And I think more managers are starting to build that trust with their individual employees because they're actually seeing that productivity over time now. Um, So I do think that this is here to stay for a while. And I do think employers are starting to be more on that casual yet still Uh expecting results scenario. And I think that that's where they should be um, continuing forward brought up a really interesting point. And and first off, I've got to say, like I said, this is like the third time that we're trying to record this interview. And (laughs) I don't think we've mentioned one topic so far that was discussed in the first interview. We're like totally different topics. So (laughs) I love it. It's good. Mm -hmm. But talking about the flexibility. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, what about the structured versus unstructured work? day, you know, because like you have kids working from home, you got to prepare them. Lots. It's not like you're just working yourself and you can just go grab something or make a quick sense. I mean, you got kids that you got to feed stuff like that. I'll tell you how I view it. Then you tell me what you think and what, you know, uh, other employers are doing. So for me personally, and this is how I've always worked. My managers have were like, Hey, it's results orientated with sales. So they didn't care. Uh, and I'm this way with my team too. I'm like, Hey, prioritize everything you've got to do between nine and five. If there's stuff that you can only do between nine and five, 
you do that between nine and five. That's your priority. Then if you have to disappear for two, three hours to take care of your kids or whatever, and then you're coming back at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, and you're finishing up the rest of the task. I personally don't care because we're going to know if was this done? Wasn't it done? Uh, and I'm being extremely flexible again with the trust, you know, trust that the work's being done They're They're getting their time in it's task oriented, but we're being extremely flexible with those, you know, in, in that regard, is that typical because it's breaking that nine to five, eight to four, seven to three, 10 to six, eight hour straight block. They're still doing you know, eight hours, probably even more because more people are working longer. They're still doing that. They're just not doing it in a straight eight hours anymore. So I've seen the two extremes on the scale and then I've experienced right in the middle. So mm -hmm. on one side of that spectrum, it's very much that flexibility of like, just prioritize your work. If it's cutting through the day, uh, GitLab is a really good example of this, of a nonlinear workday. And they really produced a lot of articles around the remote work that they do when everybody went remote um, right. and they prioritize, you know, it doesn't really matter when you work because they're around the globe now. Right. And, and that flexibility is great as long as you're getting your work done, but they right. have the structure and the means to support that. On the right. other extreme, you see employers wanting you to clock in and clock out when you're doing your work remotely and you are, you know, calculating your time just like you would in office. And it's right. very much like when your butt is in your seat, you're clocking in and you're clocking out if you're taking your breaks as you normally would. And then in right. the middle is very similar to what you're experiencing when you need to collaborate with multiple teams or if there's similar goals that need to be met or meetings that need to be done that's prioritized between nine and five. And then beyond that, it's just getting those work-related items done whenever you can. And then like just showcase on your calendar whether or not you're available for contact. So Right. It's a full spectrum. And most companies are falling within that middle realm. But I have seen the two extremes as well. And it really just depends on whether or not you have the culture for it and culture the and structure? structure for it, yeah. which GitLab has and is open to everybody to view. I've been doing a lot of research to help my clients like adjust to that kind of structure in a smaller, more mm -hmm. feasible way, obviously. But some yeah. people just need that clock in, clock out because it's very remedial, you know, yep. tasks like data entry, which makes sense. So it depends yep. on where you fall. Yeah, yes. No, that's great. Because like you're saying, the structure, those types of things. I mean, Vision 33 with what we do, I guess we're lucky. We have global presence. We are structured for those types of things. And it amazes me, you know, I'll jump on nine o'clock at night and I'm looking at teams nine o'clock East Coast time. And I'm still seeing people East Coast with green lights on teams because they got distracted, something with, with their kids or whatever it may be, maybe, you know, like, Tuesday this past week, they every voting things like that <laughs> to where they ended up doing time then in the evening. And it really comes out to the, I think, just the, the trust in your team that they're doing their work. But my question for you then is what about the, so I guess with people with salary, it's one way. 
What about when you get into the hourly wage people? How hard is that? Because if you're not working a linear eight hours, what are you going to have them do? Clock in, clock out. They're working an hour and 45 minutes here, disappearing for uh, 45 minutes for this with the kid and then coming back in another two hours. And how, how does that work? Is that the same way or is it more complicated? So I think it, again, depends on the type of clocking in, clocking out or time tracking scenario that yeah. companies have, because there are a couple of different ways to time clock or track your people in a remote environment. One can mm-hmm. be an VPN automated clock in type scenario, where when you VPN and VPN out, then you're going to see like when they're coming to work. That's a very laxed way of looking at it. Upwork is a good example of this because they'll take screenshots of the contractors that they're utilizing to track their time for clients. Um, Another, yeah, that is pretty neat, but it also is a little tricky for some people because there are clients. Think about if you have something in the background or something like that. I I saw, you know, even just with the hybrid learning, I'm sure everybody saw some of those news stories like, oh, a teacher sees something in the background and you hear Zoom stories. I mean, you just had the reporter from uh, uh, the New York, one of the New York newspapers that had his Zoom incident. So I mean, things could happen. It's still risky, I think. Yeah. And there are some companies who do that where they monitor and screen capture to track your time. Another way is if you need to clock in, clock out. If that's a method that a company utilizes, and it doesn't matter when, as long as they meet their hours, normally when you're in a part-time or non-exempt situation, it's because you're on a shift schedule because you're most likely in person. There are several people that I work with where they can work remote and they have a very similar situation. And they have it with the most common timekeeping method for non-exempt remote able positions, which is you just have to get the work done and keep it under a certain amount of hours. And for that reason, they'll usually just put how many hours in a day that they worked in total versus clocking in, clocking out. Clocking in and clocking out is a very common one as well, but that's usually seen more for in-person type of events. And then the out-of-person type of events that are more remote friendly, you'll just click, I worked eight hours here, six hours here, seven hours here in your timesheets. And then that's usually how they'll track it. Um, And then some some people will just do the exact same thing on an Excel Mm -hmm. and then lock it for their employees every day. So that way they can still track it, even if they don't have an official time tracking method. Do you think, again, this could be pandemic related because of how things are, are progressing, how we're doing things here. Do you think that we could possibly be headed towards a more result? I I guess you could say task orientated or result orientated future for pay rather than, hey, 40 hours a week, this is your salary. Like, hey, this is your salary. This is what you're expected to do. If you take 35 hours to do it or you take 45 hours to do it, this is it. So that's a really tricky question because compliance can come into play. There are some areas. I thought it was um, interesting, not tricky. (laughs) It is interesting and also tricky because the realities are going to affect a lot of different areas with the DOL Mm -hmm. and like exemption statuses, what that might look like. Um, If you are like, if you have any type of employee within the San Francisco area, you know, this Mm -hmm. exempt status rule is really hard to get around because for an exempt salary employee, if you work in a day for about maybe three hours, you're going to automatically get paid for the rest of that day and you don't have to work. 
And that's really tricky to navigate as an employer, because what happens if they just say, I don't want to work anymore today? You know, you have to track every time that that's a scenario and say, okay, well, that's poor performance. Okay, that's poor performance. Like you're not meeting your goals because of that. But if they are exactly. And if you are meeting your goals, even though you're doing that, what do you do as an employer? Because you're setting the example for other employees as well. So it's, again, a compliance piece can be really difficult in that scenario. I do think the contractor 1099 scenario is very much already online with that. And I think you might see more non-exempt roles consolidate hours to get the same results. And that's going to affect uh, your talent pools that you can pull from, you're going to see a very weird you know, shift in the relationship in the marketplace between talent and employers, because again, right. they're going to have higher demands for less pay. And that's going to continue. And we're going to see it come down to, I want more results and less time now because Uh I'm more results driven. And I know that you can do it because I'm letting you do it from home or something along those lines. So you could see um, like there's a million different directions that can lead to, but you would have to really test it out to know if it's right for your organization to have that. And Again, you have to be really careful about how you classify your exempt versus non-exempt and having like a tool to work through to know what is actually exempt versus non-exempt is important to help you navigate that scenario. Yeah, especially someplace like California. I mean, look at, uh, I call it the fiasco with AB5 and they just, you know, got that overturned. It looks like at least for the case of Uber and Lyft. Just for uh, ride shares. (laughs) Right, right. So really, really interesting with all of that stuff. So I guess while we're, we're, we're talking here, you know, we've mentioned the pandemic. I mentioned in the intro as well, too, as far as where we're at now as of the day of this recording, we are hitting some record highs for people catching the virus positive. I don't know if it's with that with deaths. I cannot remember off the top of my head, but a lot of positive taste, uh, a lot of taste, a lot of positive tests. So... How is that going to impact, you know, businesses from the HR perspective with working with people as far as the screenings, testings, compliance, all that good stuff? I can tell you it's a pain in the butt from experience. (laughs) So um, I have a lot of employers that are essential employers and they have to have people physically on site and in the field for their work. And Mm -hmm. it is like a, a actual nightmare to employers to have this scenario where one person comes into contact, not even test positive, but comes into contact with somebody who has positives and is in the workplace. And the, the liability and the compliance pieces around it is just like a minefield to play in as not only an employer, but mm-hmm. also an employee, because it's just a lot to take on. And so it's really figuring out what are your requirements from a federal and state level? Right. You know, there are federal rules that are going to help you navigate what you need to do and recommendations. Then there's going to be that state level because not every single federal rule may apply to you. But in a state like Colorado, where I'm at, they did make a federal rule apply to all employers based on their state rule. Then wow. you're going to see based on where your people work or how they interact with others, what kind of liability are you putting your organization in if you have them continue to be in the workplace? So I'll give you a real example real quick. I have an employer who has a field employee, their roommate tested positive for COVID. 
They are now being quarantined um, and we need them in the field, but they also came into contact within the field right. and they work alone in the field, but the liability that they can get other people sick, get clients sick, other vendors sick by being in the field is a too large of a liability for them to be on site. And then you have to navigate how you're going to pay for that leave. And you have to navigate whether or not that employee even receives a test. So the official stance that every employer here should take is that we cannot offer medical advice. We are not doctors, we are not scientists. However, based on CDC recommendations, we can say to self-monitor, if you are feeling mm -hmm. ill, please, you know, take precautions and, you know, get a test if you feel like you need to. Um, if you feel like something happened in the workplace, like you are actually mm -hmm. feeling ill, you can require a test. However, it is best practice that you pay for the test as the employer because you are requiring it. If you are requiring right. them a test and you are requiring them to stay home, you need to pay for their leave if you fall under the state or federal rule within your area um, that requires so, a federal so leave. Let, let me just jump in there real quick. I want to make sure that we got that because I think this is pretty important, some of the stuff you said. Um, if you get Okay, so with the example that you did, it was an employee that potentially has coronavirus from his roommate, okay? Mm -hmm. If the company requires him to stay home because he could potentially have the virus, okay, the company then is going to be required to pay him leave? In our state, yes, because we okay. are falling under one of the rules of the Federal Leave Act, which is for you know, them to receive up to 80 hours of leave related to a coronavirus scenario, which was okay. if you are required to quarantine and because an employer requires you to quarantine, that falls under that. Now, what we did with this particular employee was say, we cannot provide medical advice. We want you to do what's best for you and what we think is best for the organization. And if you decide to get a test, please let us know. And then we will follow the recommendations of your doctor. And this employee did decide to get a test. And the doctor did say, because it was a direct contact within a living situation to quarantine. So now this employee has to be physically in the field for us to make money and usually how they work. So we're trying to reshift work for them to be able to work remotely so we don't have to pay leave versus them getting some profitability out of this employee. So that's a whole right. other dynamic that's into it. But I think it's going to work <laughs> for this particular employer because they have things that they can shift and mm -hmm. work on to get this person to work remotely versus he can't because he's what, a field employee. What if you're an independent contractor? Obviously you don't get leaves and stuff like that, but you know, what kind of implications can that have if they're saying, no, you can't, work because of, you know, you have COVID. I mean, if you're independent contractor, my mind says that, well, unfortunately you're, you're screwed. There's nothing else they could do. You either perform the contract as it says, or, you know, you're, you're not fulfilling the contractual requirements that, you know, but what say you? 
So there's a couple of different avenues that you could take as a business owner. And it also depends on your relationship with the contractor. If you don't like them, just term the contract. But if you like <laughs> them and you want to keep them, most situations when you have a 1099, for it to truly be a 1099, they're probably not working on site in your facility. And they're probably not interacting with individuals either in your workplace or in client sites. That's right. usually what you see the majority of the time with a 1099, a true 1099. However, that's not always the case. And if that's the, if you run into that scenario, you can just say, can we put this contract on pause? Or they just take those days off in quarantine and they don't get paid because they're not working. If right. you want to retain a contractor that's good, you can renegotiate the terms of the contract. You can um, say like, again, we can pause this or we can say, hey, we can pay out X amount bonus if you meet this deadline earlier to compensate for the pause. Like it's a relationship right. thing and it's really figuring out how you can renegotiate if it's required. But the majority of the time it's not going to be required and it's not going to impact um, the working relationship because most 1099s are going to be doing things outside of regular business. They don't impact the regular business and their projects should be done on their own times in their own ways um, that shouldn't affect the larger corporation overall. Right, right, right. Understood. You know, I don't, most of my life I was independent consulting, doing business consulting. I was lucky enough to move to Tijuana, Mexico, grew up in a, uh, a literally a ghetto in Tijuana. I mean, like we had to start a small fire to heat up water in a bucket, take a shower outside. I've had a very, very strange life. And I would cross the border every single day from Tijuana to San Diego, work in San Diego, commute back to Tijuana. I mean, there were days where I would spend eight hours, nine hours just commuting, not oh even gosh. counting work. When I, well, when you're 18, 19, 20, it was easy to do. Well, it wasn't easy, but it was interesting to do. <laughs> and, you know, when the recession hit, I ended up going straight up into independent consulting. I actually, by accident, found out, hey, wait a second, there's a lot of American companies that are looking to expand their stuff down into Mexico and eventually Peru, because I lived in Peru for a year too. So I, I went into independent consulting, got a lot of contracts. I don't know, I, I honestly like being an independent contractor and the freedom that I had so much more than being an employee. A lot of people feel that way, but there's a lot of risk associated with being a contractor, what such as consistency of pay, benefits, mm -hmm. all of those things can also be of concern. And it depends oh, on it your lifestyle. Hard, yeah, because yeah, if you have a family, it can be really difficult. But at the same time, if you have the lifestyle where you can take that large type of risk, mm -hmm. or you know that your contract is X amount of like months and you know your pay could have, you know, most of the time when you're negotiating contracts or when I'm negotiating mm -hmm. contracts with my rates, I take into consideration things like, okay, what's it going to be for my, you know, loss ratio if for some reason this gets canceled early or if I lose a client, like those types of things are in consideration. And most small businesses 
understand that mindset when they're setting their rates to, you know, their clients, wherever they Mm -hmm. be. So I think independent consultants can learn a lot from that type of thinking when they're negotiating their contracts with other clients that they could be working with because that they need to be thinking of those risks in their own contract negotiations to ensure that they don't have those type of issues. But it is a really nice lifestyle to live if you can afford to have that high of a risk. Yeah, if you can accept the risk, I mean, I, I and the really, taxes, really the extra and taxes, the taxes. <laughs> yeah, the extra taxes, definitely. Uh, but you get some extra write-offs, I think. So <laughs> just a it, smidgen, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it can balance out, maybe. Uh, depends how creative you get. Uh, you didn't hear that here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So you know, we just brought up about the freedoms and stuff like that. It looks like the work from home trend may be permanent to semi-permanent for a lot of companies. I know a lot of companies just going straight work from home, super small offices now. Will that have an impact on salaries in the future? Companies thinking, well, they're working from home. They have a lot of flexibility. They're not spending time commuting. They're not spending money commuting. Are they going to think of possibly paying less because of those benefits? So we've actually already seen this trend right now of companies deciding what they're going to do if they decide to stay remote with pay. Mm-hmm. Ideally, they're not going to change their current people's pay, but they're going to be rethinking their compensation strategy overall. This is a huge debate going on right now because some companies feel like, yes, you are getting more benefits or perks by being able to work from home and you're saving time and money by not having to worry about X, Y, and Z. So therefore, we can justify a lower starting salary. However, mm-hmm. other people such as myself believe regardless of position and regardless of uh, commuting, you should be paying what the local market rate is uh, for cost of living and for the demand of skill set. Because if you follow right. that compensation strategy overall, you're going to get better talent. You're going to attract more passive talent. Those are the high potential people you want because they're probably happily employed and performing well. And Mm -hmm. they are the ones that are not going to just leave for any reason, but they might be like, "Hmm, this is interesting. Okay. But if you start cutting things like, you know, your salaries or things like that, then you're going to see um, not as top tier of a talent pool. And if that's the case, you have to be okay with training. And most employers are not okay with training because although they want to think they are, they don't hire for potential and then train it. They tend to just want it all on their silver platter and just expect you to sink or swim on the first day. So there's a lot of really conflicting beliefs in it overall. And I think time will tell what employers choose to do. So you brought up an excellent point there. Uh, this, how did COVID then, uh, you know, change the business's need to adopt in attracting and managing talent? I think it definitely made it more complicated um, from all parts of the employee life cycle. Now, if you live in the HR world, you know what that means. But from an employer perspective, the employee life cycle starts from the moment they become a candidate for an open position to the moment that they leave your front door and are no longer a employee of any type. However, uh-huh. there's an after employee life cycle, I think, that a lot of people would debate on as well, because um, there are such things as boomerangs. But 
it's making a lot of different things complicated from a recruiting standpoint, you know, video interviews, not being able to meet people in person, phone interviews, timing of everything. You do get the benefit of having a more diverse candidate pool now, just because Mm -hmm. if you are okay with that remote environment um, long-term, then your candidate pool just opened wide up nationwide versus into a local market. So that's one extreme benefit, but just coordinating everything, onboarding, what does that look like? Do you do large onboardings? Most large companies do, small companies, not so much. So it's not so much of an issue even to do Uh in-person just because it's very easy to socially distance. But if you're a larger company, onboarding is another issue. Your performance reviews, what that looks like from a virtual standpoint, engagement, learning, training, literally every aspect in the employee life cycle has become a level of more complicated given Mm -hmm. the virtual aspects that need to now be folded into it given COVID. Right. Understood. And, you know, complexity. That's just (laughs) what everybody's asking for right now, right? Right. That just makes, you know, it just makes your day more interesting. (laughs) Exactly. We do got to start wrapping up. I guess the final question, let's focus on the job market. We're still in the pandemic. We're hitting high numbers like we just discussed. How is the job market handling this right now? Are we getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it saying stagnant? So I think from the beginning of the year, we're obviously worse off than we were. However, Mm -hmm. I think it's starting to get a tiny, tiny uptick. And by tiny, I mean like the smallest little uptick, just because we're in Q4, a lot of organizations are posting the end of their roles uh, for the year because either they're wanting to spend X amount of dollars by the year or fill X amount of roles before the end of the year or before the holidays. Mm -hmm. So there is a slight uptick uh, because they want to get things done before the holidays. But I do think that that's going to remain stagnant for the rest of time right now, it is an employer's market, unfortunately. And what that means is that the candidate experience and the recruiting experience sucks so bad for candidates because you are now competing with probably five to 10 times more the amount of people than you would have when we were in what we call a candidate market where employers could not fill roles. This, again, is this friction that's going on because there are still very high technical roles that people cannot fill with the candidates in the market. And again, that's coming down to the philosophy of the organization to say, I'm okay with taking a less qualified person and training them up to where we need to be. And that would open up your candidate pool again if you can't find that talent. So it's really difficult to navigate an employer market because you see lesser benefits, lesser pay because they just people are just jumping at the opportunity given the fact that we're in a very high unemployment rate. But it's one of those things where I think you're going to see the rock stars employers create better candidate experiences Mm -hmm. and create a consistency model that is going to be more about development. And those are the employers that are going to get the better talent and retain the better talent long term. And so that would be my recommendation as a final thought is don't embrace this employer mindset, think about the candidate experience, think about the marketplace and embrace those factors and create efficiencies and competencies around that. And then you're going to create a brand that's going to outlast um, your other competitors and you're going to attract better talent. Great. This was an amazing, interesting interview. What do you say? (laughs) 
I think it was great. I mean, I know that we can talk about stuff all day long when it comes to a lot of the trends that are happening. So the fact that we were able to get it concise this time was awesome. We were on target. Third time (laughs) was a charm. This was excellent. So tell me, Kelly, how can people reach out to you? So the best way to get in contact with me is either on LinkedIn or via my website. My website is yourhrsource.com. And um, I do have a texting hotline that you can join as well. All of that information is on my LinkedIn, which is LinkedIn-IN-Kelly Loudermilk. And if you just Google me, all of those things come up anyways, just because of all the work that I've been doing to build that brand up. But um, either yourhrsource.com or LinkedIn are going to be the best ways to find me. Oh, perfect. I hope to have you back on here, maybe in, you know, quarter two, something like that. So we can talk where we are with the virus, where we are with, you know, the, the, all, everything else going on in this country right now and see how things have changed from November till, you know, maybe April. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, we have a long, fun, rocky road ahead of us. So thank you again, and hopefully see you soon. Awesome. Thank you for having me. No problem. Cheers. Oh, my God. Wasn't Kelly incredible? Seriously, she is a wealth of knowledge. Plus, like we said during the interview, this was the third time we've had to record it. So it gave us plenty of bonding time. I probably spoke to her more than anybody else that has been on the show prior to them being on. And as I say, the third time is the charm because it was by far the best interview we had out of the three. She gave us some awesome insight into how businesses have to operate with COVID and what some of those best practices are. Some of the conversation that really stood out to me was the attire for work from home. I think, like she said, businesses need to accommodate a little bit more for the situation. Allow your employees to keep within the dress code, but step it down, you know, a notch or two. Some people are having a tough time right now, virtual schooling, you know, and having to iron a suit, dress, jacket, whatever, should be one of the last things you want to make your your employees worry about. So, you know, I, I guess you could say if you're having a call with executives, say it's your best client or a prospect and you're trying to sell them, then yeah, I'd say it'd probably be a good idea to dress it up a notch. You know, as they say, dress to impress. But find something that isn't going to be overly burdensome to your team during this testing period. Some people loved working in their offices just because it was an escape from home. The other thing we have to remember is that this is an employer's market. Many employers may be reducing their more traditional salaries because they can get top-notch talent at much cheaper than a year ago. I mean, let's face it, it's the employer's market and, you know, it stinks for employees. But, you know, you add in that you have most employees working from home. There's no commutes. I mean, a lot of employees are actually saving one to four extra hours a day without having to get ready, at least to the level that they used to have to. And they don't have to travel, so they're saving gasoline, and you add 
all that in there, I mean, fairly or unfairly, companies are considering all of that when they're rolling out their new base salary packages. That brings me to my last main talking point, the work-life balance. If you have employees that you're able to judge and know that they're completing tasks, I suggest to be a little bit more focused, like how I do it with my team. There are items that have to be done between 9 and 5. You cannot get around that, and you just have to make sure that they're done. There's no excuses. But tasks that are not time-sensitive, as long as they're done, I don't care if they're done at 6 a.m. or 10.30 p.m., just as long as they are done. I'm very supportive of non-linear workdays, and I think for many people, that's going to be the future to some degree. I mean, there's already a bunch of studies out there saying that employees are actually working more now that they don't have to do the commutes and stuff like that. So let's kind of see how this all shifts out, and it'll be really interesting to see what the future brings. And that leads me to the question for this episode. What do you think about non-linear workdays? Meaning you break up eight hours into chunks throughout the day. Are you for it? Are you against it? Are you like, nope, it's nine to five. It's got to be nine to five. Or are you more like me where it's like, hey, I don't care if you do nine to 11, you're gone for a couple hours for your kids to make them lunch and get them back into school. And then... You're working another couple hours, you do the same thing for supper, and then you finish up at night. What do you think? Leave a comment in the section below on YouTube here, and let's get that conversation going. Remember, please, we are trying to grow this community. We want Sharkbite Biz to be the top place that managers, directors, owners, people like that come to learn about how to grow a business during a pandemic. Do me a favor. If you love this interview with Kelly, smash that subscribe button. You can do me another solid. Hit the like button and leave a comment too. But if you're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, no matter where you're at, okay, smash that subscribe button. And if you really like it, share this out on LinkedIn. Share this on Facebook. Share this on Twitter. Let's really build this community up. Once again, I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you again next episode. Cheers! Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.